0: try it. There we go. Sorry about that. Somehow it turned off. Let's have a word of prayer if we can after such noise and get started in our service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and each one that is here. We ask now that you would guide and direct each part of our service that you may be honored and glorified in it. Lord, that truly we would have a joyous and Merry Christmas. But Lord, most of all, we would worship you. In all that you have done for us, in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And uh, we have quite a uh, busy, busy schedule today for Christmas Sunday. And it's good to see everyone here. And in uh, just a few minutes, we're going to have our first special. Adam Ching is going to play a Holy Night on the piano. But we got just a few minutes before he's going to do that. If you were here... Uh, last night, uh, we gave uh, uh, our family did most of the music so that uh, everyone could take a break and be ready for this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to take time to go through uh, the entire Christmas story from start to finish. How many of you know that the entire Christmas story is almost three years in length? Uh, We think of everything happening in just one night, Uh, but that certainly uh, was not the case. And Luke chapter 1, and we'll have our first slide up here, and uh, we are missing the remote. Mr. Usher, if you could bring that up so we can get the projector on. And uh, thank you. Nothing like a few technical difficulties. Good thing we're not one of those real formal churches. We'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? And uh, Luke chapter 1. And now this is going to be uh, over a year uh, before Jesus is born. We start in verse 5 of chapter 1. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And there's our first picture today. And it is a little fuzzy, but let's just finish reading here. He was of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, I want you to understand something. There are very, very few people in the Bible that God lists as blameless, that he lists as not having great problems. How many of us are familiar with the life of David? David was a great man. But the Bible lists some great sins by David. And Elijah, the prophet, he got all upset at Jezebel's threats and ran and hid in a cave. And yet he tells us that this man and his wife were blameless. They were priests. He was a priest, I'm sorry. And probably once or twice in his entire lifetime, Would he be able to do what he was going to do on the day that our story happens in the Bible? Uh, If you'll remember, God had taken the descendants of Aaron and he said, you're going to be priests. There was only one high priest, but there were 24 courses of priests and they would serve for a short period of time. And Zacharias was of the last of those courses of priests. And he would have gone into the temple, and today was his lot to burn incense on the golden altar. This honor would be afforded him only once, maybe twice in his entire service as a priest. And as we read the story here, we find out that Zacharias was offering, uh, let's come here, verse 8. And it came to pass, while he executed the office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense, and he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, no one was allowed to be in the temple but the priest at this time. And all of a sudden, this man appears standing in the air on the right side of the altar of incense. How many of you that would scare the living daylights out of you? Uh, if you don't have your hand raised, it's just because you don't understand what was going on. Uh, this was not uh, uh, special effects Uh, there was very little light in the temple, only from the candlesticks that burned. And here was a man standing there. And of course, Zechariah was afraid. And the angel came and said, your prayers have been heard. You see, Zechariah was offering incense on the altar. As we study the Bible, we know that that is a picture or a living representation of how God wants us to pray. And as Zacharias was doing this, he brought his own prayers. We skipped over the verse. It says, both he and his wife were well stricken in years. How must the desire to have a son wait upon their life? It was, going, it was too late. Humanly speaking, but Zechariah prayed and the angel told him, your wife's going to have a son. Now here... As we read down through here, and uh, we get here to verse 15, it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I wish we had time this morning. We could spend a half an hour here just covering where this prophecy came from. It came from the book of Malachi, the last prophecy that said that before the Messiah came, Elijah would come. And he would turn the hearts of the children toward the father and the hearts of the fathers toward their children, that he would turn the hearts of the unjust to the truth of God's word. Zacharias knew exactly what this angel was speaking of, that the son that he was to have would be the man who would announce the presence of the Messiah. All Jewish history, in fact, all world history is wrapped in this one event. The most important event of all history was when God became flesh and dwelt among us. It was John's duty to announce that. He was told that he would come, and uh, Peter, I think you need to check in the lobby there, but uh, he, was, he was told that they would come And look at Zechariah's response in chapter 18. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Now, if an angel of God told you something, do you think you would believe him? Zechariah was a priest. He'd spent his whole life studying the scriptures. And he said, How am I going to know that you're actually talking with me, that I didn't dream this up on my own? Well, God's got a great answer for us today. It's written down. You don't have to dream about it. You don't have to make sure that, did I feel right, or was it that pepperoni, anchovy, and, uh, and sausage pizza last night? Uh, no, we read God's word, and we can know what he said. But here's what the angel told Zacharias. He says, you're not going to utter another word until all these things happen. Uh, Ladies, how long does it take for a baby to show up? At least nine months, right? And Elizabeth wasn't even pregnant yet. And so all of these things were going to happen. And Zechariah goes out. um, Did I say his name right? Yes. Zechariah went out to bless the people. It was customary when he had finished offering the incense that he would pray for the nation of Israel and bless them. And all he could do was wave his hands. When he got home, I wonder if Elizabeth was a happy woman. She didn't hear a word from Zechariah until after the baby was born. Six months later, we'll go to our second slide. We pick up our narration An angel came and appeared the second time to a young woman named Mary. And he said, You're going to give birth to a son that is going to be the Messiah. What was Mary's response? Let me be the handmaid of the Lord according to His word. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Mary didn't know what to do. So she went to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And she stayed with Elizabeth. We'll go to our next slide. For about three months until the baby was born. Then Mary had to go back to Nazareth, to her hometown. And we'll go to our next slide, and we'll have Adam play our special, if he could do that. Thank you for your patience. All right. Amen. And at this time, I have Brother Zach Glock come, and he's going to do the song, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear in Russian. And he showed me the words and said, You're singing with me, right? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, I'll try. But when he heard my Russian, he said, I better do it by myself. Amen. Amen. I love the words of that song. It talks about the struggles of this life and all of the things. And O Holy Night was speaking of how special that one night was. But there was a lot that had to happen yet before that one night could occur. Mary went back to Nazareth. Now, you remember the angel had told her that she was going to have a son. She was engaged in the Jewish tradition and understanding uh, of life. She was married already, though she had not uh, been living with her husband. All of the legal arrangements had been made, Were the engagement process was just the same as if they were married. And Mary comes back after disappearing for three months, And things weren't right. And we go to our next slide. And it tells us that Joseph was a just man in Matthew chapter 1. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, which being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And as we look at this story here, I think one of the most forgotten parts of the Christmas story is Joseph's faith. That he was willing just to believe. Zacharias the priest didn't believe. He was still couldn't talk. But Joseph believed he took Mary, his wife, in obedience to the scriptures. And we follow our story back into the book of Luke. And now we are at Luke chapter 2, after. Little John was born, and back into Luke chapter 2, all of us adults, tax day is coming. How did taxes figure in to the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, God used the Roman taxation to move Mary and Joseph from the city of Nazareth, where they were, to the city of Bethlehem where Mary needed to be when the baby was born in order to fulfill the prophecy. It's interesting that God rearranged the entire history of the Roman Empire to fit his scriptures. God is in the business of fulfilling his word. Amen? And so we go to our next slide. The Jewish way of taxing was simply this. In order to keep track of everybody and their family record, to make sure that nobody stole someone else's identity or anything as such, all of those things that go on today, you had to register in the city of your family. Guess what? It'd be hard to fake who you were when uncles and aunts and cousins and all your relatives are there to identify you. And so no one escaped taxation in the Jewish land. And Joseph had to go to the city of Bethlehem. Our next slide has one amazing problem. Mary probably did not have a donkey to ride to Bethlehem. She probably walked in her last month of pregnancy. It's about 60 miles up and down the mountain roads. I'll bet Joseph wasn't asking, are we there yet? Because he knew it was going to take an awful long time. They were going to have to go very, very slow. And when they got to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. They were put, our next slide, out in the place where the cattle lived. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn child and laid him in a manger. And we have two specials now. We're going to have Silent Night by Mariana and Romanian, if you would do that. And then as soon as they're done, we'll have the Matsushita family come up and they'll sing Away in the Manger. You can write right up here. Amen. Amen. You can sing right at the pulpits. <laughs> And truly, we get to have Christmas all around the world here at Open Door Bible Baptist, amen? And we praise the Lord. You don't have to understand all the words to understand the message of the song, amen? And so we praise the Lord, and as we follow through our story as Mary gave birth there in the cattle stall, we go to our next slide, and God had some other things going on He was announcing the birth. He was announcing the incarnation of his son. By the way, all of us know or should know that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. He was before the beginning. He is the eternal God, God the Son and the Son of God. Mary was the process that brought Jesus into human flesh. You say, why did God do that? Because he loves us, that's why. To redeem us. But he announced, and those that don't like to celebrate Christmas, always want to remind them, why did God send the choir? If God sent heaven's choir to earth to announce the birth of his son, I don't think he's going to get upset if you celebrate Christmas. Amen? And make it a time to have memories with your family. Make it a time to teach them about the word of God. Amen. And so we continue our story in verse 8 in there of Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angels came and announced to them the birth of the Savior in Bethlehem. And we go to our next line. Now, here's Mary, and this is a much more realistic picture. Uh, It was probably not a big wooden barn with nice windows and all of that. By the way, would you like nice windows in the cold time of the year? Uh, Let all the air in and all of that. You'd want it warm in there, especially with a newborn baby. And as they were in there, probably more of a cave than what we would think of, the shepherds came not one or two, probably by the score, by the 20s, in groups to see he who would become the king of the Jews. Just wait a minute, ladies. We'll be dismissed in just a moment. We've got two more specials here. Um, One more special, actually. Uh, We're going to have our our deaf ensemble come and uh, I think there's a few other people included in that and they're going to Uh, performed for us while by our sheep in sign language. And I think we're going to have some vocals there to go with it. and at this time we're going to have our toddler's church first and then the children's church come and they've been working on a few little things that they want to do for you this morning and uh, we'll just get everything as arranged as we possibly can All right, and the next song that we're going to have this morning as the children take their seats is There's a Song in the Air, and this language, this will be done in the Portuguese language. Amen. We'll have the next slide. And this picture happened about 60 days later, 40, actually 40-some 40 days later, after Jesus was born. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph, uh, we'll just start reading in verse 22, and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished... They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, as they offered this sacrifice, and by the way, this was the least of the sacrifice, and we're going to try something uh, never before attempted on Christmas Sunday. We're going to have a baby dedication as well. And so the four families, if they would, who have babies to dedicate, if you would uh, get mom and dad and, and baby together, and just join me on the platform, all right? And uh, if the baby just got woke up and starts crying, guess what? That's just going to happen, Amen. Uh, Babies do those things, and uh, let me just finish the story here. As they brought baby Jesus in again, the baby was about 45 days old or so to accomplish those things according to the temple and the law. There was a man named Simeon, whose picture we have up here. He was an older man. He had followed God all his life, and he came in, and he picked that baby up out of mom and dad's arms and said that God was going to use this son in great many ways. Come right on up onto the platform. We've still got uh, two more to come. One of them's mine, I believe. And, uh, but uh, if you don't mind, just stand there while I tell the story. Then at that moment, as Simeon was praising God and giving a prophecy concerning him, verse 34 says, and Simeon blessed them. And we come to verse 37, uh, 38, and she, talking about Anna coming in in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And so... What we are going to do today is we're going to have the dedication of these young children that God has blessed our families with. Now, dedication doesn't do necessarily a whole lot for the child. It's more for the parents. It is a public promise that they are making to each one present here and to God himself, that with all that we have within us, we will raise our children according to the scriptures. Now what we will do is we will have each family come up. There is a certificate here and a Bible. And all the certificate says is that low children are in heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And then it says certificate of dedication on this day, December 25th, 2011, we dedicate ourselves to the most holy duty of raising this child, then the name of the child, in the nurture and admonition of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We further dedicate this young life to the service of our Lord as it would please Him the most. And we got an amen there from the from little Cecilia. And so uh, we'll just do this in... Uh, Order here and so brother and Mrs. Bajolo, if you bring little Jasmine Bless and Dad, I want you to sign here. Okay, and Mama, you get to sign right underneath of them there. Now that daddy's got you cry real loud. No. Yeah, you're doing good. All right, and then I'll sign the other side here, and you will take this, and you can put that on the wall or in a special place to remind little Jasmine, and there's a Bible with her name in it,
1: you see that Jasmine, that's for you.
0: and you, yes, there we go, she knows what to do, amen. All right, now if we could have Dave and Carolina Brinkman. And uh, this is a special honor, as Brother Dave was saved here in this church, and so was Carolina. And they had their courtship here in this church, and they were married here in this church. And Cecilia was born to hospital, I think. No, home. And uh, and we praise the Lord that they are here. And there's the Bible. Let me just... This is a serious event. Amen. (laughs) There we go. All right. And John and Olga, if you would come. We have... I'm going to make sure I get this right. Emo, I own... Christian Restia. And uh, they were married here in the church as well. And so, Mama, if you'll sign right there. Okay, and Dad, if you'll sign right there. Hang on, Jason. Your turn's next. Okay. And then, this is Jason Samuel, and uh, he knows what to do. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special occasion and each one of these little children that are here on the platform. And Lord, every child that you've entrusted to the care and the teaching in our church. Lord, we just ask now that you would remember the promises that are made here this day and that you would burn them deep into the souls of each parent. And Lord, as these little children grow, that they would grow and they would be reminded and shown this certificate and Bible as they grow up that their life was dedicated unto the Lord and belongs to Him. Lord, we ask that you would give them understanding that as soon as their little hearts and minds are capable of understanding the truths of your word, that they would believe in you and truly give their entire lives to your service. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of parenthood. And we thank you for the place that each parent has and the church in bringing up these children according to the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we praise the Lord for the little children. And now the bajolos can just stay. And we're going to have you sing... The song Joy to the World in Tagalog, and so I think we need a couple other bajolos up here very quickly. Thank yeah. you. Dream. right, we'll have the next slide on our presentation, Brother Zach, if you would. And we're going to try to finish the Christmas story. We'll have to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And if we follow the chronology of the scriptures, this is nearly two years later. So we have 12 months uh, before Jesus was born. The angel appears to... Uh, Zecharias, and now two years after he was born, we have the wise men. And people may have probably made up more stories about the wise men than all the other parts of the Christmas story combined. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. The Bible doesn't tell us how many, it says they came from the East. In the Bible, when it talks about the East, we're talking about Mesopotamia, modern day Iraq, possibly Iran. Uh, there were enough wise men that all of Jerusalem got upset. We went over that last night. There wouldn't have been three guys riding in on camels, trust me. Jerusalem was a big city. Uh, During the regular part of the year, uh, Jerusalem was uh, somewhere uh, in uh, the hundreds of thousands on the high holy days, Passover, uh, Day of Atonement, There have been nearly 2 million people stuffed into the city of Jerusalem as Jews from all over the world would come in. Herod wouldn't get upset about three guys riding in on camels. And yet, they came, and as we talked about last night, we won't go through the sermon last night, The, the connection that these wise men have to the story is one that God has hidden in His knowledge and in His holiness. We just don't know how they knew that this star talked uh, uh, told them that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was born. But we look here in uh, uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, and we'll go to the next slide there. It says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And someone said, what happened to those gifts? Well, in a few minutes, not in a few minutes, but in the next few uh, days or so, these wise men would leave and they would depart into their own country. They were warned by God not to go back and tell Herod where the child was, because King Herod was seeking for the Christ child as well. His only desire was to destroy him so that there would be no uh, competition for the throne that he had so violently usurped. And yet, as we follow the story here, God appeared to Joseph in a dream. In verse 13 saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So Joseph rose up in the middle of the night. We'll go to our last slide this morning. He put Mary, uh, maybe he had a donkey by this time, I don't know. They always put things in there. But as we were going through some of the artwork, I saw this picture years ago of Mary and Joseph in the shadow of the Sphinx as they were walking into the land of Egypt. Now, maybe they were there, maybe they weren't, but it's a neat picture, something to think about. There was a verse in the prophecy said, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And God sent Jesus as a baby down into the land of Egypt to protect him from the wickedness of Herod. Every little child in Bethlehem between below the 2 years old and below would be killed by Herod's soldiers by his thugs that went out to try to erase the fact that the king had been born but I'll tell you what you can't get rid of God's king God's time is simply that When Zechariah heard the words of the angels, it had been over 400 years since any prophet had claimed to speak in the name of the Lord. We'll have that brief 30-some year period of Jesus' life. His main ministry was less than four years, just right at three, three and a half years. And then Jesus died and rose again and went into heaven. The angel said in like manner, if you've seen him go into heaven, he's coming back. That's almost 2,000 years ago. You know what? A lot of people have scoffed at that promise and say, I don't believe what the Bible says. Uh, Let me tell you something. God's time is his time. And he's coming. And we don't know when. We need to be ready. How those wise men were ready after 400 years to receive the signal and go to Bethlehem to worship him, I'm just glad they were. Amen? You and I need to be ready because Jesus is coming back. We'll sing one more hymn and get into the message this morning. Stand with us, Brother Franz. If you come, 106, we three kings. and. And uh, brother Zach, if you just mute this mic for a moment, the batteries are going dead. Make make sure you mute it on the board, or it's going to make that big loud noise. Brother Zach, did you mute the? I need you to mute this mic on the board. There we go. <laughs> On. Always technical difficulties, amen? But uh, by God's grace, we shall overcome. Take your Bibles, if you would. And of course, I hope you enjoyed our presentation of the Christmas story. The pictures kind of help you see a little bit. Of course, many of them are not very realistic, but it allows us just to see and think and concentrate a little more on those things of the events remember, the Christmas story was not one night. It's over three years in the making, all the events that happened. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, as I was contemplating on what to preach on this morning, one subject came to mind and just kept coming there, and that is the love of Christ. That is why he left heaven's glory to be born in a manger, to live among men as a man. In fact, so much like a man that when the religious leaders of his day saw him and contemplated him and listened to him, even though he did all of those incredible miracles, they refused to believe that he was the very God of gods, the creator of this entire universe. And yet, that is his identity. And he has come to show us in a physical way God's love. Could you imagine leaving the glories of heaven? No, you can't, because we don't even know what those are. We try to think, but we have no clue as to what heaven is like. In heaven, there is not one sin Never has been, never will be. You say, well, what about the devil? He got thrown out. Never one sin. And I'll tell you, I enjoy this earth. I enjoy the beauty of God's creation. But I can't wait to see what it looks like when God has removed the taint of sin in His kingdom. And down toward the end of Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who, the, Paul asks the question as he is writing, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. their entire life trying to figure out whether they are saved or not. They battle back and forth and they hope and say, well, you know, I, I did this and I go to church and I was baptized and, and, and I was prayed over as a little baby and all of those things. But none of those things are salvation. Salvation is a personal trust ...in a personal God. That's why Paul here says... ...who shall separate us... ...from the love of Christ. Have you... ...how many of you remember... ...before you got saved... ...feeling that hand of God's conviction... ...touch your heart... ...and tell you... ...that you were a sinner. That you could not save yourself. That no matter how many good things... You've done. I often, when someone says, I'm going to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, my first question is, can you even tell me what they are? I've not had one that's been able to tell me all ten. I said, now, if you're going to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, don't you think you ought to know what they are? I mean, that would be a good place to start. But let me tell you, the work of the Ten Commandments is simply this. The purpose of the law is to convict you. Is to show you that you cannot keep the law. It is to condemn you. So that you will forget about what you can do. So you will lay aside the works of the flesh. So you will lay aside the things that you have earned. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Do you know that it's against the law? For an employee to withhold your wages from you, you've earned them. And it would be against God's holiness to withhold from you the wages of your sin. You've earned it. But there's a but in that verse. We're connected, but we're heading a different direction. That's what the word but means. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many of you have already opened all your Christmas presents? How many of you are still waiting? Oh, we see a few hands out there, brave souls there. I couldn't wait. Uh, But why do we give gifts at Christmas? Because God gave his son. It was because of his love toward us and every gift. I mean, when it is given, it should be given. How many of you want your children to open their gift and say, oh, this is just what I wanted. I will keep my room clean for the next year. I will help wash the dishes. Okay. After you get your digitalis shot and your boom, 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 bring your heart back, beating parents, right? Uh. That would not be a good response now, would it? You want them to enjoy the gift. I want them to play with it. Amen? If it's meant to be played with. You know what the best part about Christmas often is? Is you can get for your kids what you didn't get when you were a kid. Amen? Amen? But it's a great time, and it ought to be a time of enjoyment and love and sharing with one another. Because that's what God did for us. And here in the book of Romans, as we start out, I want you to understand, and I know many of you already do, that there is no force in the universe greater than the love of God. And when you accept that love, you cannot be separated from it. There is no force in the universe stronger than God. And he guarantees his love by his own person. And if you accept his love in what Jesus did to forgive you for your sins, you have no concerns when it comes to eternity. That is the greatness of the love of Christ. It's greater than anything you can ask Or think, And we'll get to that verse in just a little bit. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Three times in our Bible, the phrase, the love of Christ is used. It's amazing that it's only three. Of course, the entire Bible is God's love letter to mankind. But three places this phrase, the love of Christ is used. The first one is right here where we just were in Romans chapter 8. The second is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul is trying to explain to a troubled church how they ought to live for Christ. You see, there's a struggle after you're saved. A struggle against the world and the things that are in it. How many of you here today know why God calls certain things sin and other things not? Very simple, because sin, when it is finished, what? Bringeth forth death. I don't care what sin it is. How many of you heard about that guy that uh, just uh, won that $300,000 Lamborghini or whatever it was? He didn't have it six hours. (laughs) Drove it right into something, wrecked it all up, had to take it to a shop, and his next statement was, I'm going to sell it. I can't afford the insurance. You see, when God gives us something, it doesn't destroy us. Stop and think about how many things you have prayed for, greatly desired, that if God had actually given them to you, what would have happened to you? it would have destroyed you. Or maybe you would have destroyed it. The best thing in the world is to trust God's love rather than your own reasoning. And as we think about these things, we look at 1 Corinthians 5 and Paul is addressing this very fact. In verse 13 he says, "...for whether we be beside ourselves..." It is to God. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody called me crazy. That's what Paul's saying there. He said, if we're beside ourselves, if we're crazy, hey, that's between me and God. If this is crazy, give me more of it. Amen. I love serving the Lord. I wouldn't trade this life for anything that man has to offer. Or whether we be sober... It is for your cause. I've been told you're just too serious. Well, Paul said, listen, if I'm crazy, that's between me and God. If I'm too serious, it's because you Corinthians aren't doing right. And I'm here to help straighten you out. That's the job of a parent. Amen. You got to be serious. That's the job of a pastor. And Paul is doing this here. In verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, the day which lived, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. True love this love that God has for us, the love of Christ that we read about, that no force on earth in heaven or the universe abroad can can stem or, or cause to fail, it has a constraining effect. You can bully or use fear to move people So far, but there will come a time when that bullying and that fear will no longer work. Study the history of the American Revolution. It stopped, and King George couldn't understand why this American rabble would not bow before his red-coated troops. They'd had enough. You can have great leadership and you can lead people much farther than you can bully them. Amen? But you can love people anywhere. It was the great General Napoleon while in his final days of captivity on Elba there in the Atlantic Ocean said that there was no leader like Jesus the Nazarene. None of his followers have ever used a physical weapon. And yet at a moment's call, he could call the largest army in the world who would be willing to lay down their lives on his behest because of his love for them and their love for him. Now, I have no hope of ever seeing Napoleon in heaven. But he was not an ignorant man. And this is what Paul was telling the Corinthians. He said, you're having some struggles with life. You're trying to do right and you're not doing a very good job. He said, some of you think I'm crazy, the rest of you think I'm just too serious and, and I don't have any joy in life. He said, let me tell you the reason why I am this way is because the love of Christ is constraining me. I cannot live my life for myself. I must live the life that my Savior has given me at His command and at His direction. What did Paul tell the Philippians? He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I'd rather go to heaven and be with Christ. But he might have me stay here to be a benefit to your faith. And I'm pretty sure that's what he's going to have me do. And of course, I'm paraphrasing. He said, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When's the last time you allowed the love of Christ to make you do something. How many of you just love to pass out tracts? I mean, that is just your favorite thing in the world. I see a few hands going up. But you know what will solve that problem if you don't like passing out tracks, The love of Christ. You know what? It can be a scary thing to witness to people. People often say, Pastor, you you just never had a problem being in front of people. You don't know me. Every time I tell people this, they think I'm lying and I'm telling you the truth. That it used to be when I would even play my saxophone in front of people, my hands would shake so bad that I couldn't even hardly hold on to my horn, let alone public speaking. That was just terrifying. My first sermon was five minutes long. It seemed like it was three hours for me. But everybody was glad when it was done. Somebody said, Preacher, I wish you had that problem now, right? I was looking at some of the sermon times. 45 minutes is no problem. An hour is still easy, and it happens on Sunday mornings. No, it won't happen this morning, I promise you. But what makes me do what I do? It's not just the fact that I... Somebody said, you just love telling people what to do. No, I don't. But let me tell you something. If I don't get out the Bible and tell you what the Bible says, who's going to? It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. That love that cannot be quelled by any force in this universe is the same love that will mold and shape your life and make it conform to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want the greatest truth of Christmas? Let the love of Christ strain you. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is the third time in the scripture this phrase, the love of Christ, is used. And it's used in a most unusual way. We'll come down to verse 19, Ephesians chapter 3. Maybe what we ought to do is back up to verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled. With all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. Amen. Now here's the Apostle Paul, certainly a man who knew. Jesus Christ, if we were to take human beings and put them in stature and list uh, of the greatest Christians that ever lived, now God's never commanded us to do that, but if we were to attempt something like that just to help our mind, the Apostle Paul would have to be in the top three men who serve Christ, top two or three in the entire New Testament time. I've heard some people claim that they are as inspired or whatever as the Apostle Paul, but you know what? People will say anything. Don't believe them. Believe your Bible, amen? And here's what he said. He said, and to know the love of Christ. He said, I don't know. The love of Christ as much as I want to he says I want to know the love of Christ to be filled with the fullness of God how many of you struggle with temptation are you alive You struggle with it. Do you think you would struggle with temptation to sin if you had the fullness of God filling you? Tell you what, not as much. You know what we need? We need a greater understanding of the love of God, of the love of Christ. I often tell people, if you're fighting against temptation, if you've got a decision to make and you know what's right and it's almost impossible to do right, go back and read the story of the cross. That's what Jesus did to set us free from doing wrong. You see, it's the love of Christ that holds us, not we that hold it. Romans chapter 8. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us, that makes us do what we ought to do when we don't want to do it. But this idea of knowing the love of Christ is actually being a willing participant in this process rather than just being drugged along kicking and screaming. I've heard preachers say, well, God dragged me kicking and screaming into the ministry. Well, he didn't grab me kicking and screaming. I was tired of living my own life. I wanted to live his life. Amen? Amen? But I'm here to tell you that I don't know enough about the love of Christ. That it hasn't filled, it hasn't gotten rid of Pete Montoro all the way yet. I wanted to. Because the only way God can get glory out of our lives. Have you, I mean, we I've preached on this uh, so many times. The goal of the Christian life is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me on that? The purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus Christ. Would you agree? Well... How can a God as great as the God of the Bible be glorified in little things? Amen? How can he be glorified when we just do our best? That's not good enough. We have got to allow the love of Christ to constrain us And we've got to get to the point to where we understand what Christ wants us to do, where we know the love of Christ. I love to watch artisans, to watch people who really know what they're doing. Have you ever watched a woodcarver who had been doing it all his life? I don't like to watch the young guys. They're, They're okay, they're good. But... When someone has been doing it all their life, they just sit there and it looks like that knife's cutting through butter when they're working on one of the hardest woods known to man. I mean, they just know exactly what they're doing. As the man in the machine shop begins to turn the little handles and push the buttons and change the bits, and all of a sudden, the very part you needed comes out of a piece of steel. Listen, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God wants us to bring glory to His name. But the only way that's going to happen is He's going to have to do something in your life above anything that you can ask or even think. You can turn on Joel Osteen if you want and be told how wonderful you are and how good you ought to feel about yourself. That's not good enough for the God of the Bible. Amen. Right. He wants to do something beyond your wildest imagination. Amen. But it's going to be his definition, right. not yours. Right. You see, his love deserves more than your best. His love deserves more than your feeble efforts. His love deserves His efforts through your life. And if you want to know what Christmas is all about, that's what it's all about. The total abandonment of you and the embracing of the love of Christ. And all God's people said, Let's have every head bowed. We always take a time in our service to allow you to act upon the Word of God. We may have someone here today, a visitor, or someone that's attended a long time who does not know Jesus as their Savior. I can't think of a better day of the year to get saved on than Christmas Day but you have to surrender yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you're like the Corinthian church, just struggling with life. Why don't you just ask God to allow His love to constrain you and change the way you live? And maybe you're in that last category. You're doing the right things. But you'd like to move to that next level where you begin to cooperate with God rather than just hinder him. The altar is open as we have the music playing. If you need to come and pray, just slip out of your seat and spend some time with the Lord today. He wants to hear about it. He wants us to surrender to him.